inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining. Who doesn't like to hear a great story? I guess everybody likes that. Today we are going to talk a bit about storytelling, focusing a bit more in the corporate world. And for that, we have a special guest who has a lot to tell us about that. Motivational keynote speaker and coach, Sangrita Moitra works with corporate across the world on discovering their true potential and delivering them with power and impact. A renowned speaker on corporate storytelling, leadership communication, and public speaking, Sangrita has the honor of winning top awards in the European Public Speaking Championships in 2013 and 2014, and was a speaker at TEDx Utrecht Red Dot in 2015. Hello, Sangrita. Hi, Oscar. How are you? Oh, very good. Um, um, Happy to have you uh, with us and looking looking forward to hearing about your stories. So I would like to start asking you why you became okay, I'm ready for the interrogation. Okay. The interrogation. How <laughs> I hope it doesn't feel like an interrogation. Let's do it no, more. No. We're we're going to tell the stories too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell us first of all why. You became a professional speaker. How? What was your motivation? How everything started for you? So the reason why I became a motivational speaker is very, very selfish. It's because <laughs> I truly love it. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's as simple as that, really. You know, and when people ask you why, you know, the first thing you think of there, there can be so many other ways to say it, but honestly. It's because it makes me feel so alive. Uh, there's, I think every person has that something in their lives that makes them feel fulfilled, and this is it for me. I think whether I'm giving a speech or whether I'm helping someone through a tough time in their communication, whether I'm giving a motivational speech somewhere, even if it's a workshop, the energy that I get out of it, it truly, I feel, brings a purpose. It's, I can say that public speaking and just this entire work around communication has brought a sense of purpose to my life and that's why I do it and I'll go far enough to say that ever mm-hmm. since I truly took it seriously I really believe it made me a better person I feel I've become more patient more kind more gracious more understanding I have started to understand people from across the world so much more you know it's opened up my eyes to the different kinds of problems or experiences people face and Heck, it's made me go to places around the world I didn't even think I could mm. visit. So I, I'm very grateful for this opportunity because it it makes me feel like I have a purpose in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I, I saw that you have been already traveling to several countries in the world. You are based in the ne- Netherlands, that's correct? Yes, I am an Indian based in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hot temperament, cold country. <laughs> 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 All right, more or less like my case. <laughs> that's like, I can that, that, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> combination. Tell us a bit about this, the 
the main message that you um, that you have to set you apart because you already are a motivation speaker, so you're already having your own core stories. What would be your this core message that you have? You know, when I looked at people who are the gods of public speaking across the world, like Tony Robbins, Patricia Fripp, mm-hmm. even Dhananjay Hetty Archie, mm. who I really look up to, like, how am I different? And I found my message through my own uh, experiences, which was ordinary life, but an extraordinary value. That's my core message. And I always say this in my workshops, that I'm a very ordinary person, you know, very ordinary. I haven't climbed the Mount Kilimanjaro. I have never survived a life. I've never had to face a life-threatening disease. And Mm. I have never lived through war. I've never been poor. I've never been abandoned. I have a very ordinary life. But this ordinary life has taught me extraordinary values through experiences of struggle or failures or hardships. Mm -hmm. And whatever they were, they brought me all the way across the world to here today when I'm being interviewed by you in Sweden. So that's the story of extraordinary values that, that shape your life in ways you never imagined. And I believe that just like me, there are so many other people in the world who may think, oh, well, I have such an ordinary life. I'm just one in a million, whether in my company, whether in people around me, what's so special? I always say, listen, you may have an ordinary life, but it's filled with extraordinary values. And that's what makes you unique. And that is the core message that I feel sets me apart. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great that's a great message, actually. No, um, ordinary life, uh, extraordinary values. Yeah, it, that's something that uh, resonates with well, a huge audience, of course, because most of <laughs> most of us are are like that. No, we, we haven't done anything like extraordinary. You know, a few few people do that in, or have very extraordinary struggling situations in their life. Now, some people have uh, passed that, but most of us not. But in spite of that, we can uh, do the best of, show the best of ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I really like your core message. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, tell us now a bit about the the type of talks you do. What is your signature talk? Or what are the other uh, workshops or talks that you do? So I have two core themes that I offer. And it's mostly corporates. Also, sometimes organizations come up to me for this. And off late, I'm being approached by quite a few universities. Number one is the power of your story. Mm-hmm. This one is I do mostly for corporate storytelling. But now I've also been doing it a lot for universities where researchers or master students can learn from this. And the power of your story is an amalgamation of professional storytelling, public speaking and personal branding. And the second one, that's my top requested signature workshop, is the secrets of leadership communication. And in this, it's, as you can imagine, aimed more at organization, aimed more at people who are mid-level management to executive level. And it's all about how to speak with power, with persuasion. These two are very important. And I believe that it's very important to learn how to speak in a persuasive manner because authority these days doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, that, so these are my top two. Um, these are my top two signature workshops, if I can call them that. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's interesting. Uh, if we focus now on corporate storytelling, that is something okay. that is 
Uh, it's kind of trendy somehow. I started hearing about that or reading about that more more in the very recent years. Yeah. So could you tell, if you can define that, first of all, corporate storytelling, how you would define it? And so to set it apart from other types of storytelling that are also from organizations such as non-profit uh, startups. So. Sure. You know, and that was <laughs> when I started creating content for my corporate storytelling, the first thing that was worrying me was, oh, this is trendy. Because, you know, trend is a bad thing in my head because trends come and go. Mm-hmm. So, right? So you have to create something that's timeless. That's, that's like a diamond. No. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, with corporate storytelling, and you'll also notice different people, different trainers, different speakers have their own versions. And what I like to focus on mm-hmm. with respect to corporate storytelling is, well, the reason why I love it so much is it's so dynamic. Because on one hand, it's the story of an individual within that organization. Mm-hmm. And number two, it is the story of that organization. So the the heartbeat of a company is its people. So you talk about those people together that drives the company forward. But at the same time, it's also discovering your own corporate story. Who am I within my company? Who are you within your company? Whether it's Shell or Ernst & Young or ING or any big company, it's very difficult for people to actually retain their identity. Because if you think of it, If you work for a large corporate, you walk through the doors of that company. Let's say you're a manager. You walk through the doors and immediately you're a manager in a sea of managers doing mm. very similar things with very similar career graphs. So it becomes very difficult to retain what makes you separate, what makes you different if you only stick to your skill sets. Skill sets are great for your credentials. They're great for your credibility, but they don't make you, you know, they don't make you unique. They don't buy you trust as a person. So corporate storytelling for me is very dynamic from an individualistic point of view. Who are you, Oscar, as a manager working for this big, big corporate? And then how do you link it to the story of that corporate, their own values, linking that to your own values? So that's corporate storytelling for me, very dynamic. How it's really different in my eyes, and I'm sure others may beg to differ, mm-hmm. how it's very different for me for other startups, for instance, or small businesses mm-hmm is most often you'll see small businesses or startups are a one-man show. For instance, myself, I'm a one-man entrepreneur. I don't have anyone else on my team. It's all me. I'm the face, I'm the brand, I'm the ambassador. So my story as a business would be very different because it would be all about me, right? I am the brand, I am the face. So it's a one-track storyline, also very fun, but very different from an organization like a big corporate, which has so many heartbeats. Do you see the difference? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That's the core difference. And that's what I focus on with respect to corporate storytelling, that you have to weave in I and we very subtly but very powerfully whenever you're making that presentation or that negotiation. Sure. Um, just to clarify one thing about in case of corporate storytelling. So everything starts with the story of one person, uh, like the, let's say the founder of the company or like this the top leader of this company it's the the storytelling of the of the of this corporation is primarily based on one personal story i think you said that yeah so for instance what happens in my workshops often is i have a company approaching me and saying can you teach corporate storytelling or mm-hmm. professional storytelling to our 
to our team. And that's maybe, let's say, 20 engineers or 20 managers in my audience. Okay, so they're in front of me. And I what I focus on is how is each and every one of you very different in your own corporate story? And how are you going to present the story of your organization as well? So let's say you, Oscar, let's say you're a mid-level manager. Okay, let's say you have about 20 years of experience or 15, 20 years of experience. And let's say you have to speak at a big conference somewhere. If you only throw out numbers and text and statistics or you only talk about the organization, people will never get to know who you are. So it's very important for them to get to know you and along with that, the organization you represent. So you see, it's you are telling two stories at the same time. Mm-hmm. but weaving them in into one mm-hmm. yeah so when yeah someone that is in the middle or someone who is representing a company but it's not the top uh, yeah. it's not the top executive it doesn't matter who you are you know even you uh, to me it doesn't matter who okay. you are because we will every person is relevant in a company i don't think mm-hmm. only the founder or the ceo or the cfo is the person who's relevant i think uh uh Trainee is just as relevant. I think a mid-level manager is relevant. I think HR is relevant. I, To me, relevance is how deeply connected you are to the values of your company. It doesn't matter to me. Honestly, it doesn't matter to me how uh, high or low you are in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, every, I agree every person makes the, makes the heartbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how I understand that if you are, a mid, let's say, a middle manager, you have... Um, you found your own story that is um, uh, also connected to the to the main story of the of the corporation but who has defined this corporate story this main story for the corporation so the first thing to do when i have to do these kind of workshops is of course contact the person or the uh, the coordinator and find out you know every company has their own core values right Mm-hmm. So you have to sit down and study the core values of the company. You have to understand what drives them, what was the history, and what is their vision. And you will notice that people who are truly driven and connected to their own companies when their visions match. So it's important mm-hmm. to have your visions match. So what is your vision? How are you so deeply connected to Let me give you an example. Let's say, um, do you know of these banks called ING and uh, AB and AMRO? Yeah, yes. Okay, great. So let's say you work for ING and you are a HR. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's say you're an HR manager in ING. So what is it that connects you? So you as an HR manager, you can talk, I'm sure, endlessly about yourself. But when I mm. ask you to create a story about you working for ING, how would you be? How would it be any different if you were an HR manager for ABN Amro? Trust me, there will be very distinct storylines. There will be very different mm. values. Sure, sure, sure. You get my point. Yes. So it's defined by the yeah the vision, um, the the corporate uh, story of culture that is already uh, defined in the in the in the company. Mm-hmm. And your own personal values, yeah. your own personal visions, absolutely. Because exactly, I always say, uh, and don't take it in the gender bias way when I use the word man, but I always say, show the man behind the words, because it's you'll. F- you'll be surprised to see how difficult it is to show the speaker, to show something about yourself beyond just the speech you're giving or the talk or the presentation. And that buys trust. That makes people take a leap of faith when they can believe in your story. So whether you're, you know, whether you're um, talking about yourself in an organization or not, 
when you can give an identity, when you can represent yourself and represent your company in a truly personal way, using core values, core visions, what connects you two together, that I think makes a very powerful impact. And in small businesses or startups, like uh, which are one-man shows, the focus is more on that individual and their vision than than teamwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's yeah. At least I understand it much, much, much more clearly. As as you also is, you mentioned that you have been traveling already around the world. Could you tell us some yeah, differences? <laughs> Some differences in at least the, the regions that you are a bit more familiar with. How is this corporate storytelling across the world from the one you, you have experienced? Yeah. So this is a great question, you know, because see, at the end of the day, let's be honest, humans are, are all the same. We, mm. we react to very similar situations. Like we all rejoice in anniversaries and marriages and we feel sad during funerals and we fight when we're angry. Our reactions are very similar. However, There are certain things that you can do, uh, you can play to, to make people of a certain, I would not say community, but um, appeal to their sense of identity as, uh, as a group of people. For instance, let me give you an example. If I were talking about something to do with energy, because I often um, focus on energy when it comes to my workshops. Mm-hmm. If I were doing it in Netherlands and I wanted to use an example of a sport, I wouldn't say cricket. I would say soccer. Mm-hmm. If I say, if I use an example of cricket in this country, I will alienate my audience because they won't relate to the, yeah. what kind of energy and what drives you and what's the emotional connect to cricket. But if I say soccer and I say the word, the name Van Persie or Schneider or mm-hmm. Croft, the, they will cry. <laughs> if I talk about uh, the match of, FIFA 2014, Netherlands versus Spain, and remembering mm-hmm. when Netherlands scored its first goal and how every Dutch person in the room cried and yelled, standing on tables and singing the national anthem in tears, they will connect to it much more deeply than when Netherlands maybe won a cricket match. <laughs> you see? Okay. So, yeah, so those kind of things. So it's important to know what the nation, what, what the people culturally, nationally uh, connect with. Similarly, If I am, again, taking the example of Netherlands, and I will compare it to other countries as well, different countries also have their own emotional connects. If I am in Netherlands, I will focus on, uh, when it comes to communication, I would focus more on transparency because the Dutch are not really known for being direct, right? Dutch directness is actually mm. a phrase across the world. <laughs> so if I'm in Netherlands, I would always focus on transparency. Why? Because transparency, Having transparency of communication makes you feel that you have control over the situation. And that's what Dutch people like. That's great. I, th- I think directness is wonderful. And I think more organizations should implement that in their, in their uh, communication. However, if I'm in another country, uh, let's say if I'm, in, uh, if I'm in South Asia, I would shift the focus more towards respect mm-hmm. and humility because those are traditions and cultures that highly value a sense of respect, how you treat other people. Over there, you can't just be direct for the heck of it, you know. Mm-hmm. That would burn some bridges. And I can speak that as an Indian. I know that I value respect very highly in my, in my personal values. And I know that a lot of companies value that a lot as well. How you speak to people with respect is very important. 
other countries in Asia will focus on discipline. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I hope you're getting to see the differences that I'm pointing out, whether it comes uh, from energy or whether it comes in the kind of uh, values to focus on. Every corporate, every organization, ultimately geographical regions are just uh, unmarked. Well, they're, they're man-made lines that just signify a particular kind of people. But these people have a similar have a similar identity. So it's important to connect to them on those. So, for instance, how I, as I said, if I were in Netherlands, I would talk more about soccer or directness. If I were in Asia, I would talk more about cricket and respect and humility. And those are the kind of differences. It's important to know that because it makes you a stronger speaker and it also helps you connect with your audience more. Because then once you give them references that they can connect to, it doesn't matter which part of the world I'm from. It doesn't matter that I speak different or look different or if I have an accent or if I'm the tiniest person in the room. It, it doesn't make a difference because immediately I'm speaking a language. I'm mm. speaking an emotion that they, they know. To their hearts, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's important to know what makes people tick. That's why... Like, for instance, I've been touring with the power of my story in quite a few countries right now. And every time I give that speech, I think I gave the 21st version of that in Greece for the Toastmasters Division Conference. Every time the stories change, the messages change, the ex- exercises change based on where I am. Yes. So it's it's a matter of changing the, as you say, focus on the, the values, the The pop culture that is familiar, people are familiar with this uh, yeah. sp- sports, for instance. No? Uh, I'm just giving you an example, mm-hmm. but with anything, you know, uh, every country will have its own sort of say, so to say, people will have their own identity. Mm-hmm. And of course, no two people are similar. And of course, between people within India or Spain or Peru, there will be a lot of differences. Sure, sure. But you know what I mean when it comes to certain, certain catches, certain hooks, you know, you have you know you have their attention with that and you know they, they will understand what you're saying better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, you have sort of like core story, but you have to adapt it to, to match. Yes, yes, always adapt. Every region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. And Sangrita, could you now tell us a quote that inspires you in particular? This is the toughest question after, where do you see yourself in five years from now? <laughs> Because, <laughs> my quote oh, that's the interrogation maybe <laughs> yeah that's the interrogation part, yeah <laughs> there are so many quotes that inspire me one of my favorites that i think has played a big role in my life is and the author i think is relatively unknown his name is uh, john shed or william shed mm. who said a ship in the harbor is safe but that is not what ships are built for and this quote has come to play in my life so many times when i left india to come to the netherlands mm-hmm. i was i was safe i was protected there you know my parents are well off and everything why do i have to throw myself in a mm. in a country and a culture that i don't know anything about um, but then you know ships are not meant to stay in the harbor and also when i started my entrepreneurship when i decided to pursue motivational speaking professionally This played a big part. But there's one thing I want to share with you that I heard very recently mm-hmm. that has, I think, got, made a mindset difference was if you want to do something to be someone, you have a worker mindset. 
if you want to have something to be someone, you have a victim mindset. But when you want to be someone so you can do something or have something, then you have a winner's mindset. So if you want to, you know, so whatever your aim is, live life like you already are that person. And that has changed so much of my thought and my plans and my actions in the last month. Because now I'm living my life as if I already am the best motivational speaker <laughs> that I could ever be. So how would I live life if I were that? As opposed to, I need to, be the, I need to do all this work to become a top motivational speaker one day. Do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that, that really made a world of a difference to me, that you should want to be someone so you can do something. Yes, as, as, yeah, as in everything in life, as, even if there are things that can take long, no? and you know there's going to be a long, long way, but you can, uh, you can already see yourself there and act like that today. Yeah, yeah, I think it's beautiful. I never thought of it, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a, well, a great reflection. Thanks, Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, I will ask you a little piece of um, maybe motivation, inspiration. Tell us about one book that has been part, um, particularly influential for you. You know, I had a feeling that you would ask me that. So there's so many books that come to mind. You know, there's books by <laughs> Dalai Lama and there's books by Obama and even Elon Musk. Uh, mm -hmm. fun read. But if I have to be really honest with you, because books were my best friends when I was a child, and I think... A big part of why I speak the way I do is because of the books I read back then. They still uh, have left a very deep impression on my mind. And I will recommend, I think, two books. Mm -hmm. And this is pure fiction, but, well, one of them is kind of a biography. Number one is Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. That book I read when I was 14 years old, and it played a huge role on me. It's the book about a man who dared to be different in a world that wanted to hold on to its very narrow-minded outlook mm. and how this man fights in a very subtle way. He, he's not aggressive, but he just holds on to, what, to, to, to his belief. And through all the trials and tribulation, this man triumphs and His name is uh, Mr. Rourke, and I know for any person who's read this book, that man is the near God in our eyes. So Ayn Rand's Fountainhead played a very deep impression on me, and I think it's a great book to read when you're um, starting off in your career, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're actually taking the mm -hmm. first step towards something. Let's say you've worked for a long time and you want to start your own business that I know a lot of speakers from Toastmasters do that, read that book. It's a massive book. It will take many hours, but you will be changed when you finish reading that book. And the second book that I want to, ref to recommend is, I think, not a very well-known author, but one of my favorite authors of all time, and his name is Gerald Darrow. D-U-R-R-E-L-L. And he was a zoologist, and he went across the world collecting animals to build his own zoo, in the, the United States. And now this man had a very difficult time because he traveled across the world and he was almost always never had enough money. Imagine having all kinds of animals in your backyard. <laughs> it, it was a crazy life. It was 
difficult. I'm, I'm sure it was a difficult life. But when you read his books, you will laugh so hard. I distinctly remember I read his book, Phillips of Place, when I was 13 years old. And I fell off the couch. I was laughing so hard. And he was describing a particularly sad, difficult moment. And I think a man who can make you laugh about difficult times and make you smile and reach out to you, whether you from what culture or race or religion or background, it doesn't matter. He connects, boom, like that. That is a man who, who has pure charisma and a pure mm. connection with his audience. Because guess what? Fast forward to all these years later, I'm recommending this book to, to you right now. So I think if you want to learn how to really uh, relate to your audience, whatever your topic is, what do I know about zoology and collecting animals? I have no idea. But that man sold it to me. So if you want to learn how to connect with your audience in a very humble way, at the same time, make it very appealing, read his book, see how he sells his life story to you. And the second would be, of course, Ayn Rand's Fountainhead to just pure drive. It's, the, it's a red bull in a book. Mm -hmm. So the first you mentioned, the first book you mentioned is is fiction, right? And the second is a uh, is a real personal story. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So first fiction is Fountainhead, and the second is any book by Gerald Darrell. My favorite is My Family and Other Animals and Fillets of Plais, P L A I C E. Very funny. Very yeah, both sound very very appealing in. Good for storytelling to get ideas for for story. Yeah, and they're very different. Tell story uh, one is very intense. Mm -hmm. uh, a fountainhead will make you feel exhausted, but also energized. <laughs> exhausted with emotion, and Gerald Darrell will just make you laugh and exhaust you in a different way. I will finally ask you something for action, something yeah. that we can do regularly uh, as a routine to shine. What could you tell us? You know, for this part, I had a lot of ideas in my mind to share with you, things that you can do to be a better speaker and communicator. But this is something right now that is helping me. Mm -hmm. And I can only hope this helps you. This answer will come as quite the anticlimax because my recommendation to you is gardening. <laughs> gardening. Why? Yes, I know you're not this you would have probably thought i'd say gargle with salt and water twice a day and uh, practice to pronounce your words you have no, done that too gardening. much <laughs> <laughs> the reason why i say gardening is mm -hmm. because you have to wait for the fruits of your mm -hmm. labor and i have never been into gardening my whole life okay my mom loves gardening in her spare time i used to find it boring because i used to think i'm I, i'm too impatient and i like the instant gratification mm -hmm. but Ever since I started professional speaking and I have realized that your biggest, biggest competitor, your biggest challenge is patience, patience and gratitude. And I have tried a lot of things to learn how to truly be patient and appreciate without, without being pushy to myself, on myself or on others. And in the world of professional speaking, you have to wait for the right clients to come in. See, if you want to just make money, you can make money anyway, right? You can do a 1,000 things. But if you want to set up your, because, you know, this is about public speaking and storytelling or being, um, being very powerful in what you do. I think that I, st I started gardening very recently, but it has taught me so much about strength of character. 
right now, for instance, I have uh, potted a few tomatoes and it's taking forever to sprout. <laughs> and I know that it will take six months for me to get the beautiful ripe red tomatoes that will be delicious on my plate, but I have to wait. And I feel like this process is feeding me so much. I feel like every day when I come and I water the plants, it gives me more motivation to more drive and more, more, uh, how do I say this? It, it gives me more control over my life as a speaker as well. And I feel like I'm becoming more patient, more resilient, and also willing to invest in the fruits of my labor. So gardening, yes, everyone go and create and pot some herbs and mints and tomatoes in your backyard. Okay, what, what, my... what is the favorite that you, you, if you have to choose one of the, the vegetables, which one is? <laughs> Oh, don't make me do that. Oh, God. So <laughs> Too difficult. Okay, okay. Well, you said tomatoes are six months, so yeah. That's... Tomato, I said tomato thrice, so I'll stick to the cherry tomato. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for this. Um, it's a good reflection, of course, because you, you mentioned this um, uh, this instant gratification, no? this patience and things that are good to, to soften. To, uh, if, uh, in order to have great scenes, they take time, so... Yeah, you know, the thing is, when you're a speaker, instant gratification becomes very easy to get addicted to, right? You give a speech, immediately people stand up and clap. Mm. And if you give a really good speech, people come and say good things to you, right? And then you start expecting instant reactions. But sometimes um, yeah. some, some relations take time. You know, if there's a corporate client, your dream corporate client that, that's interested in you and you talk to them, it's not like they talk to you and they're going to give you an opportunity in the next month. Sometimes it'll take nine months for the sure. session to actually be finalized, put on contract. And then, you know, nine months later, you actually get the opportunity to speak at their company. And hey, nine months is the length of an entire baby. That's, that's very long. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, that's crazy. But th this process is teaching me how to invest, you know, invest time in yourself and, and look at the future than just that instant gratification, like now, now, now. It's very dangerous. It's a downward spiral. Mm. Exactly. Well, that's a great piece of advice. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sangrita, for this very interesting uh, conversation we had had. And thank you, Oscar. And I wish I got to ask you the same questions because I'm also equally curious to know so much about you. <laughs> okay, so you're going to, <laughs> we have to schedule a, a podcast. You're going to interview me, no? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, sounds, sounds great. Uh, could you finally tell us how we can learn more about you? What say you have to show us? Sure. Just type my name. It's the it's Sangrita, or type my full name, Sangrita Moitra. And you can follow me on my website. I have a regular blog. I am very active on LinkedIn and Instagram especially. Twitter, I think, is outdated right now. <laughs> no one really uses Twitter. So you can follow me on Instagram. I do a lot of um, Instagram live videos. I do a lot of Instagram videos anyway. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. And I've also started using YouTube. So if you follow me there, I'll be posting a lot of videos for my audiences to learn from. And I also have a Facebook page, uh, which I keep updated with, my, with a lot of my workshops and speeches that I'm giving across uh, the world and share a lot of tips over there as well. So Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. You are everywhere, so it's uh, easy to find you. So. <laughs> I am not, on, well, I am on Twitter, but you don't need to add me on Twitter. I'll put it out there. You know what? No problem. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you very much again, Sangbrita, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Oscar. And how do I say thank you in your language? Gracias. Gracias muchos. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time...